Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another broadcast night on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight's broadcast is in the ladies' room, featuring J.R., Tiki, and Gwen. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio and sponsored by the Soul of America Radio. Comments made on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its hosts. And now, bringing you the funk in diva style, here's J.R., Tiki, and Gwen. In the ladies' room. with our debut show of Let's Talk. <laughs> no, we're not. It's in the ladies' room. Ha, ha, ha. And I'm going to welcome Tiki to the show and also our newest host, Gwen. How are you guys doing tonight? Wonderful. Oh, great. How are you? <laughs> Stammering and stuttering. <laughs> All right. So how's Tony, it Tony, 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 that was a serious welcome. That was a come out. That was like a Steve Harvey. I bring some out. Oh, yeah, bring them out. That's it. Bring them out. Diva style, you said. Diva style. Diva style. So how's the week been going for everyone? Oh, busy on my end. Busy, busy. Relaxing on my end. <laughs> well, I guess you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an advocate of rest. I believe in it. I have to get mine. Well, you get it where you can. I do. I do. I'm loving it. I am loving it. I am so excited about tonight's show. I have just been, Hi. like, Me. on ready. <laughs> Absolutely. I have been on ready for tonight's show. Just, just, oh, excited. How, how's things going on your end, Janice? How's life in Selma? In Selma is still the same. <laughs> So you know, I've been watching the uh, unfortunate situation the with the Selma. I've been watching the unfortunate situation with the Selma City School System. Um, heartbreaking stuff going on in Selma. I was I just uh, put a post on Facebook not long ago, uh, talking about the um, you know the situation as it was 20 years ago when the class of 1990 faced uh, similar challenges, and uh, it's, it's really so heartbreaking to watch. Was that the that, uh, year that um, all of the other students left Selma High? Yes, that was the year. That was the year um, that I graduated, and our special guest tonight, uh, Sandra Johnson Thompson. That was our graduating year, and uh, wow. so 
is especially sensitive, uh, you know, to me and probably to a lot of other people from that class. Um, that you know, after that, that school system was forever changed. It was, you know, it was not the same. We had a separate prom that year. We had a black-white prom. So, wow. it's just, uh, it's just hard me, to watch. Let me ask you this: since you were in the class that all of that occurred, what is your personal view about all of the white students now being, you know? Everywhere else except Selma High. I mean, did uh, you know, in your I think, opinion, did it really um, help Selma High, or has it? No, 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 no. It hurt Selma High in a, in a oh, yeah. real, real bad and drastic way. I think uh, one of the things that the students would have benefited from would have been that integration uh, to learn from one another and to learn a tolerance that may not uh, now exist. Absolutely. Uh, for Absolutely. people of uh, different races and backgrounds. So, it, it, man, it is hard. Um, you know, we had gone from ninth, you know, we were the first class to be inducted uh, at Selma High as a ninth grade class. Up until oh. that point, it was at Westside. Right, so that, right. that graduating class was the first ninth grade class at Selma High. And so all of that time, we had been classmates, you know, with these people, you know, black right. and white, and we there was no disharmony amongst us, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was, right. I was about to say that, um, now, my sister, she was in the first uh, integrated class at Selma High and graduated in 71, and now I know Tony, he came along years later, but with my graduating class, we had 401 students, and that's, that's not everybody. You know, some people failed and moved and whatever. But we were 50% black, 50% white, and we didn't have any major issues with each other. You know what I mean? If you had an issue, it was with someone personally because they right. did something to you. But just because you were white or just because you were black, we, we, yeah, we no more or less got either. along. Well, the unfortunate mm-hmm. thing that happened in the class of 1990, there were a bunch of uh, self-serving adults that put that right. pro- projected their personal agendas into the situation that really made it impossible for what it started out as an original agenda by the students. And that was just, a, you know, an equal uh, education, actually, to, to do away with the tracking system, a system that you were um, right. you were doomed to not be to be successful in. And, and the heartbreaking part is that resulted is, the, you know, a lot of the white students, their parents took them out of the school and sent them to Dallas County or Morgan or, you know, other schools around the area and then gave them a separate prom. And, you know, that was a bitter Bitter pill to swallow because these people oh, yeah. to that point were your friends, you know. So, so here we are, you know. Okay, and another quick question about the whole situation. I personally feel like they should have left the ninth graders over at Westside because with them being at Westside, you had a year to be like top dog. You know what I'm saying? And I feel well, like the I age think, in which you were top dog, it, it was a more appropriate age being ninth, uh, in the ninth grade, 13, 14 years old. Now, well, unfortunately, I, that having a ninth grade at Westside wasn't the best uh, objective situation for seventh graders because, you know, I guess the ages of maturity and the differences. But, you know, the, the ninth grade actually, unfortunately, failed to be in that median. It wasn't uh, a positive place at Westside because the seventh graders and the ninth graders weren't quite ready to be integrated uh, in a situation where they were so much younger than the older class being seniors at that time. So it has become what it has become. <laughs> I know a lot of our, my ninth grade classmates, uh, quite a few had 
babies in ninth grade. Wow. <laughs> I'm not put that out there. As you okay, are, on the <laughs> some of my seventh grade classmates had babies. <laughs> right, and they were at the school with ninth graders, so there you go. Right. No, 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 no. This wasn't a, this wasn't a student that that was uh, the other parent. The other parent was a grown person. Oh my! Wow. God. Yeah. Stop so, the press. Yeah. Stop the press. Yeah. They were they were blue. <laughs> you know, she was allowed to go to the, you know, we used to have the two drive-in theaters, and she was allowed to to date this guy, and he had a you know one of those seventy vans and. They used to go to the oh my drive-in movies, you know. So, wow. I mean, you talking about sitting up there looking like Moon Mullen? And I, my face was just hit the floor. My mouth was open. My eyes was <laughs> big as bow dollars. As old people would say, I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> well, you know, I am uh, tonight. I'm happy to say, you know, we're talking about some very positive coming out of that class of 1990. Um, Sandra Johnson Thompson is our special guest tonight, and I'm so excited to have her on um, our show. Now, we were friends in the 12th grade, and she left uh, right after high school to go to the service. And, you know, of course, you know, that separation, I think she and, and other friends of mine, like Teresa Bennett, they actually went and fought for our country in, like, Desert Storm uh, that yeah. was going on around that time. So. I am, she was, you know, this was a person that was always smiling and happy. You know, you never saw her in a funk or anything like that. And when I saw her story, when she started posting, you know, the comments on the web about her fight against breast cancer, I I remember sitting there one night um, going through things that she had posted in the pictures where she had lost all her hair. And I, and I sat there and I started to cry, you know. And the more I read and the more I looked, I'm like, this is not a person that is sitting back feeling sorry for herself. You know, she was real right. positive about everything that she was going through. So I'm so excited, guys, that we uh, have an opportunity to bring her on the show tonight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good to hear a story and um, to get some inspiration. Yeah, so I, I think you know. I think she's uh, the same so positive. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I think she's awesome. I'm so so proud of her. She's been such an inspiration. Because you know, y'all, if it had been me, it would have been some slow singing and flower bringing. Because I would have made it. <laughs> I'm Lord, crying and oh Lord, have mercy, why, why me? me? <laughs> you know, so I'm so hard to believe, Tiki. Just... I'm pretty sure you were told cancer to leave his shoes. What outside? Okay, no, baby, outside. At the door. At the door. So I'm so proud of her. I'm so excited. You know, I sent a lot of our classmates invites to uh, call in and listen to the show. It's a you know, not only, you know, just because she graduated with us, but, but her story, I think, is so powerful, and I want it to be an inspiration to other women. Wonderful. So I am ready. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Gwen, now we want to officially welcome you to the show yourself. Um, how How does it feel to be on air live? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> My heart beats fast, of course. I, I, I know it's a challenge. My heart beats fast, but uh, I know I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to fit right in. I believe I will. Yeah. You already do. It's not no gone. You're here now, sister. You're here well, now. All right. 
Well, all right. <laughs> and honey, the first time I met Gwen, we were cutting up in a chat room of all places. You hear me? And she was just the funniest person to me. It was so wonderful. <laughs> that night I had a ball. And I'm like, who could have this much fun chatting? But I right. had a ball. It was so cool. It was so cool. It was an awesome experience. I don't yeah, think I've been I back on since. The night she snuck out there and yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be the night. I haven't been back on either. Mm-mm. we got to do that some more mm-hmm. sometime, guys, because I had a great time. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And we talked last night. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, we did get a chance to chit-chat. Mm-hmm. Talk about tonight's happenings. <laughs> right, cutting up. Well, you know, I do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies, we're going to um, take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to bring Sandra on. Okay. All right. Awesome. I can't wait. Okay. You guys stay put. Don't turn that dial or don't click that button, and we'll be right back. <laughs> All right. right back.
right, and now we're back. And I'd like to welcome Sandra. How are you doing tonight? I'm well. How are you? Good. Hi, Sam. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Sam. Hello. Well, Tiki gave us a small piece of your resume. Would you like to tell everyone anything else about your story? Well, where do you want me to start? <laughs> At the beginning, honey, it's always best. You know, we, you know, um, uh, Jr. posted uh, um, a note on Facebook recently asking, you know, just how many people were, you know, knowledgeable about self-examination. So I think, you know, that's a, a good place to start, I would believe, you know, finding out about it, you know, just just the whole experience of, um, you know, the breast cancer uh, fight and when it got introduced into your life. Well, since you went along that direction, I'm going to start at the end, actually. I'm going to start with a couple weeks ago. Um, okay. Uh, my most recent surgery was reconstructive surgery, and it was um, a month ago, um, September 12th. And I was in the hospital, UAB um, hospital, for a week. So I um, got discharged that Friday on the 16th. And that day, now I'm a member of the uh, River Chase Church of Christ, which is located um in the Birmingham area, it's actually in um, Hoover. It's in between Hoover and Pelham, Alabama. But um, that day that I got home, uh, church members were bringing me dinner, and they brought me dinner every day um, until I asked them to stop, which was about a week ago. Shout <laughs> out to the church folks. Yes, yes. And, you know, out. I started there because um, the last. Uh, dinner that was brought to my home was a group of teenagers, and one of the teenagers, uh, she's about 16, and she came with her mom the day that her mom brought me dinner, which was a, a couple of weeks ago. She um, she was just, I guess, inquisitive and, you know, very interested, and, you know, the teenage years, I'm thinking, is the ideal time to inform them uh, about their bodies and, and more important things than what they're being informed of, to, to be honest. Um, so she was very inquisitive, and, and she was just excited to be here, and she asked me if she and the teen group from church can bring me dinner. And I said, absolutely, sure. I would love that. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm not going to turn down any food at all. <laughs> So it was breathtaking because um, she just had her own interest in doing this. And, and her question to me was, um, you know, we've been get, thinking about getting together, preparing dinner for someone, and we weren't sure of who, so can we bring dinner to you? So um, when they brought me dinner, I felt like uh, it was ten of them, and I felt like I would be remiss if I didn't mention to them um, how to take care of themselves and kind of introduce some things to them that would be educational. So I asked them what they knew about me, and they said, well, we know you just had surgery. And I said, do you know what 
kind of surgery? And they said, um, something about breast cancer. And I said, well, yes, I'm a breast, cam- breast cancer survivor, but my most recent surgery was reconstructive. And so I went from there to tell them about the story. And um, I said all that to say um, it saddens me when we asked when we asked people what they know about breast cancer or just to hear people talking about breast cancer. And because they know someone, you know, everyone knows someone that mm-hmm. has gone through it or has had breast cancer affect them in some way. And what they think they know is not what they should know. What they think they know is not enough for them to be smart about it. So I'm always eager to take the opportunity to educate because what I thought I knew about breast cancer was not what I should have known. So I've kind of learned throughout the process what I wish I had known beforehand. But um, I, I try to be positive with every experience of my life, and so I've taken it as, just and whether it's my purpose or not, I've taken it, you know, as my duty or my obligation to educate people better. Um, and, and again, you know, you have people who don't want to know, you know, and Absolutely. that's really a sad aspect because we should want to know what's going on with our bodies and. It may not be the news we want to hear, but if we need to know it to do something about it, you know, to save right. our lives, then, um, you know, that's that's the critical part there. But um, yes. so the beginning of my journey was um, actually in a self-exam. And okay. I kind of, at a young age, learned how to pay attention to my body and know what's going on with it so that, um, you know, if something goes wrong, I'm aware as opposed to going to a doctor and them telling me something is wrong with you. I know my body better than the doctors do, or at least I should. So at any rate, um, I'll go back to, I know I'm kind of skipping around, but it'll make sense momentarily. Um, There's a method (laughs) to the madness. (laughs) But, um, um. I know you said that I, I, I think you mentioned that I, I joined the service when we graduated, and I actually joined the service in February of 89. We were still in high school. Right, so, we were. You're um, right. I joined with what was called a split option program, and um, from uh, the summer of my, well, when we completed our junior year, that summer I went to basic training, came back, we did our senior year, and then right out of high school deployed to um, Saudi Arabia for um, Operation Desert Shield Desert Storm. Wow. Right. So that was um, a way for me to grow up really, really fast at a young age. Oh, but, yeah. um, I know it was because, honey, I would have been gone yeah. the yes. other direction. <laughs> yes, but it was, um, you know, it was as we look back, you know, in retrospect of our lives, all the pieces just fall into place, and we don't see it as we're going through it, you know, particularly oh, no. with mm-hmm. things that are... Um, you know, that, that are not so comfortable experiences. We just, oh, life is miserable, and, uh, you know, I don't want to go through this. But, you know, once you get beyond all of that and look back, it's 
it's the purpose for it. And sometimes we don't even know what the purpose is, but the pieces are falling into place if we pay attention. And I used to be one of those people who never paid attention. I was high-strung, proactive, outgoing, and always just I got to do the next best thing. So I, I wasn't paying attention to the things that were going on in my life that I needed to pay attention to. So I kind of feel like this whole recent experience was a way God saying, sit down, my child, sit down and pay attention to what's going on around you. So I've tried to apply, you know, as many positive aspects to it, but, you know, it's never easy. It's never um, a walk in the park, you know, and um, it has definitely been a journey for me. So I said all that um, with regards to joining the service to say that um, in February of 2009, that marked my 20-year service. And I deployed also in 2003 to Iraq and Kuwait. So at the 20-year mark, my unit was preparing to deploy again to Afghanistan. And I thought, I have deployed twice. I'm not deploying again. I've got 20 years under my belt, and I am done. I'm going to get married and sit down and get fat and happy. And um, June of '09, it became official. I got my retirement orders in the mail, and I was happy as a lamb. And one of my colleagues that had worked with me at the National Guard Bureau in Arlington, Virginia, called me and said, they have a retiree recall program where you can come back in the Army and you will still get paid your same salary that you retired with and you won't be required to take the PT test and all of the um, evaluations that you have to have. And I thought, seriously? Well, that's yeah, that sounds like a good deal. I have a girlfriend. What? She's in reserves, so I know she would jump at that herself. Yes, I said, I'm coming back. Sign me up. So. Yeah. In September of '09, I was back in the Army, <laughs> back in the Army as a retiree recall, and I wanted to take part in the retiree recall program because my whole career, 20 years of military service, was all about me and my next opportunity to get promoted or be successful or get the next best assignment. So once I retired and was you know, realized I didn't have to deploy a third time, I had a different perspective. And my perspective was because of the need that they had, and the need was for someone to work in the Casualty and Mortuary Affairs Department in Alexandria for the soldiers that were um, losing their lives in combat and their families still needed to be taken care of, and they did not have enough people to do those jobs, and they were called case managers. So I was a major when I retired, and as a major, they needed me to come back and manage the case managers and help with getting the families the right information and putting them in touch with the um, appropriate organizations for their benefits, survivor benefits. Okay. So um, I started doing that in September, and again, now remember, my whole point in coming back into the Army was to do for others, to do something for someone other than myself. Right. And then 
few months later, in December of '09, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I just think it's very wow. ironic that I I changed my mindset, you know, to be selfless. And as it turned out, um, even though I didn't get to fulfill that, the fulfillment was just me changing my mind instead of thinking right. what I do for me or what's my next best thing. I want to do something for someone else. You know, I've I've accomplished what I needed to career-wise so I can come back and help, you know, where there's a need, and the need ended up being me. So I share share that with you guys. It was very eye-opening for me. So in December of 2009, I was diagnosed. Again, it was um, a self-exam where I discovered the lump and went to the doctors and said, hey, um, I don't think something's right here. And they did a mammogram, they did an ultrasound, they sent me away with some antibiotics and said they thought it was probably an infected cyst and take the antibiotics for two weeks and everything should be okay. Wow. And um, six months later I come back after it's grown from the size mm-hmm. of maybe a tiny lima bean to the size of a walnut. Wow. From what I could tell, me feeling. Um, And they finally did a biopsy and determined that there were malignant cells present. So then there was this sense of urgency. And I felt like I'm not understanding why you have a sense of urgency now and six months ago I was telling you something wasn't right. So that's one thing I'm an advocate about with regards to um, letting women and young ladies know you've got to know about your body so that you can know better than the doctors what's going on with you. And you can say, no, really, something's not right. Um, And some people are afraid or apprehensive about doing that. And then some people, they don't want to get what they would call bad news. So if the doctor says it's an infected cyst, and thank God it's an infected cyst because I really didn't want him to tell me it was breast cancer. Right. So that's just one thing that I I would like for us to understand. Even though it may not be the news we want to hear, if it's something we need to hear, earlier detection is better. Oh, yeah. What they ended up doing was in January of 2010, I started chemotherapy to shrink the tumor. And I went through chemotherapy for four months, and the tumor shrunk to the size it was when I first discovered it. Wow. Wow. Which is amazing because if they had done the biopsy initially when I discovered it was something not right, they may have been able to shrink it smaller. Maybe, maybe not, but this is my mindset. They may have been able to shrink it smaller. I may not have had to lose my breath because the the purpose of the chemotherapy first before surgery was breast conservation. So we want to be able to retain the breast. So we'll try to shrink the tumor, have minimal uh, invasive surgery, which is the lumpectomy where they go uh-huh. in and just move the lump. And right. um, they did. I had that in June. And um, when they do a lumpectomy, they collect 
healthy tissue surrounding the tumor. So all of the tissue around the tumor was healthy and they wanted to have a they want the tissue to the healthy tissue to have uh negative results. In my case, all of the sides of the um all the areas of the healthy tissue with the exception of one side was negative. So the one side that was positive meant there was some residual malignant cells somewhere. Right. Mhm. So the surgeon's um, way of putting it to me was we can go in and take another chunk of tissue, which would be another lumpectomy, um, and hope that we've got it. And then if we don't, we'll go in and take another chunk. Or we can just have the breast removed and um, complete a mastectomy and so that we know that it's all removed. So... Um, I elected to have the mastectomy because at this point if you haven't um, if you haven't gotten all of the malignant cells and you have to go back in, the breast conservation is out of the window at this point. I mean right. if you gotta go in and take another chunk, it, there's already gonna be deformity and what's the point right. of trying to hold on to it? That's how right. I looked at it. That's how I looked at it. If it's not doing me any um justice and you know, I'm gonna have to keep holding this over my head and wondering, did they get it all? It's not promoting health, it's not prolonging right. my life, then let's go ahead and have it removed. So then I had the mastectomy in July, the following month. Sandra, let me let you hold your story right there. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break, and when okay. we come back, um, we're going to let you pick up where you left off. Okay.
Monica, we're back. And Sandra, you were at the point where you say you elected to have the mastectomy? Yes, yes. And um, following the mastectomy, they recommended radiation treatment. And I went through that for about two months, and that was um, treatment every day um, in the area where the tumor was removed, where the breast was removed, actually. And um, the initial treatment plan was to include reconstruction. So upon completing radiation, they informed me that I needed to wait six to eight months before having reconstruction because after radiation, it takes a few months for the tissue, the muscle tissue, the skin and all to heal. So it's still going through a process for a period of time, even after you've completed the treatment process. Um, And so uh, a plastic surgeon is not going to go in an area where there's been radiation if it's too soon afterwards because his job would not, it would not hold up as they would Right, he wouldn't be successful. Right. Exactly. So that brings me to my surgery last month, which was the reconstructive surgery. So I had, I actually had my one-month post-op follow-up yesterday, and all is very well, and I'm healing um, actually better than the surgeon anticipated, so I feel pretty good about it. That is awesome. Wonderful. Yeah. That is so awesome. And, you know, it just take a moment here to remind people that um, breast cancer um, awareness and the fight against breast cancer is ongoing. But, you know, breast cancer is not necessarily the death sentence that it once was. Exactly. Um, Exactly. The strive in this fight, you know, um, has we've come so far. You know, medicine um, and treatment has come so far yeah. uh, in the fight against this disease. And, you know, the important thing people need to remember, I think, too, is that this disease, like any disease, does not discriminate. You know, it could be black, white, rich, poor, male, oh, yeah. female. You know, it does not attack any you know, particular group. It can strike anybody at any time for any reason. So, you know, just it's an awareness we all need to be uh, uh, mindful of. And, you know, I'm a a football fan, guys. I am a diehard. And, (laughs) you know, it's really exciting to me to see, you know, these pro athletes and college athletes, you know, with their pink on. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And I'm like, man, the, the campaign against breast cancer has to be mighty powerful to get these big, strong athletes to accessorize uh-huh. in pink. <laughs> well, you know, they they have family members and everything, and then right. they themselves are, you know, men men are at risk for breast cancer too. Um, right. Let me play this little quick clip. And um, Well, anyway, I made an appointment, and the process got real, real quick. They set me up with a mammogram and then an ultrasound and what they call a long needle biopsy. In 48 hours, I knew. The primary care center called me up at 8 a.m. and told me, come in as soon as possible. I tried to keep a stern face and remain unfazed. I was a nervous wreck. 
soon as I entered the doctor's office, it seemed like everyone in the doctor's office knew. I felt all eyes on me. I sent a text message to a female friend. She texted back and told me she would come pick me up. She got there just in time. The doctor sat me down and told me, I'm sorry to inform you, but the test came back positive for cancer. by the way, 
for over 14 years now. So I was kind of a fitness fanatic throughout most of my military career. Part of it was military-driven, but the other part was I'm addicted to endorphins, so that kind of helped me out. It's like I got to work out so I can get this kind of adrenaline rush of whatever it was going on. But, um, you know, and I'm like, okay, out of all that I've done to stay healthy, to stay fit, this is something I couldn't avoid. I couldn't prevent it. So right. there's obviously a purpose for me going through it. And if I hang my head and I'm sad, people are watching me. They know that I'm oh, yeah. diagnosed. They know that I'm showing up for chemo treatments. They know that I'm coming to the hospital every day. And all of my treatment was at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. So, you know, it, it's not a secret. So I couldn't walk around, woe is me. I, I just felt like that wasn't an option. And I never had the thought of why me, because I felt like saying why me was saying it's better if it happens to her or him or somebody else, but right. not me. But so not I never, me, yeah. I, I never felt like that. But I did feel like, seriously, this is happening to me? Well, there's got to be a reason. You know, I'm, I'm very analytical, and my rationale was, um, I don't know what my purpose is for having to go through this, but um, I better be positive or I'm going to miss what the purpose is. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to be positive if I'm um, hanging my head and people watching me like, oh, well, she's sad, doom, gloom, and miserable. You know, nobody wants that. So I just try to, you know, have the best possible attitude that I could. And I won't say that I've had uh, walk-in-the-park days every day of my journey because I have not. I mean, there's been days where I would just go to myself and just sit in quiet and, you know, cry and meditate and talk to God. But it wasn't something that I felt like I needed to, um, you know, wallow in misery in front of people so that, you know, they could see my struggle or they could see that I was going through something. I just felt like, right. and it wasn't a pride thing, I just felt like, you know, I, I put myself in the position of Jesus went through worse things than this, and I am oh, no yeah. I'm, I'm I'm by far no better than Jesus, so I better get it together, you know. Right. He went through you know, the worst that anyone could go through. So I'm going to be okay. And if I don't survive this, I need to have my affairs in order. I need to make right. with, you know, the world, make peace with my family. And my whole point was getting over the fear of dying. I, I didn't really fear dying, but... It, my thought process my thought process was that's the worst thing that can happen. Okay, now that I'm beyond that, how do we deal with this? What's right. the next? The we next? have a we have a caller. We have a caller. Okay. That would like to make a comment or a question caller 205. Sure. Yeah, good evening ladies. How are you doing? Hi. 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 Um oh. I appreciate the topic and I'm thankful that you're pointing out that men can also get breast cancer as well. It's just not brought out, um, men just feel like, uh, you know, I don't have that problem. That's a lady's problem. But my question to Sandra is uh, I've had relatives that were diagnosed, and I know uh, not only with breast cancer but other forms of cancer, uh, the, the toughest part 
was the diagnosis. The 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 diagnosis to me uh seemed like the most tsunami um thing. <laughs> Uh, yeah. September, what is it, uh, April 27th, tornado. Um, yeah. How did uh, you, and uh, I don't know if you've got uh, a children, I know you said you had a husband. What mm-hmm. would you tell callers out there that might have heard the news today and mm-hmm. that might be listening mm-hmm. and just want to know how do I deal with I know that you said you got over it, but how did you get over the diagnosis? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang up and listen. Okay. Um, thank you so much for that question. I appreciate that. And, um It's something that I really wanted to mention and just um, for the sake of time just hadn't done so. But when they – actually, I got the call, and just like the gentleman said in the testimonial, um, in 48 hours, so December the 7th, I had the needle biopsy, and on the 9th, the doctor called me and said, well, we have the results back, and um, do you want to come in? And I said, no, you can tell me over the phone because I'm thinking – the news is not going to change whether I'm, you know, face-to-face or whether it's over the phone. And most doctors would rather you come in and, and you know, talk face-to-face and it's serious and, you know, I'm so so sorry to tell you this. But I was kind of cordial about it because I didn't want to make it a big deal. Um, and um, so he told me, he said, well, we got the results back and, we, and there were malignant cells, so uh, it is a tumor. And... Um, you know, we're going to need you to come in so that we can talk about treatment options. And I just kind of felt like, okay. Now, it's different for me because I have a militant background and I've had to swallow a lot of big pills and grow up really fast. So I have thick skin and I was able to kind of tough that out. But I would say in putting my heart in someone else's um, place, um, the best way to get over it is, in thinking, well, for me, in thinking, the doctors don't have the final say. They're going by their expertise. They're going by what they've learned in their medical career. They're going by what they've seen from one person to the next. They're going by textbooks. And even if they are right, they still don't have the final say. God has the say. So, I'm going to go and listen to them. I'm going to take their advice, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray. And that's how I got beyond the diagnosis. And also, respect from the family. And I say that because people will want to just come and hug you and hold you and, oh, I'm so sorry, and it's okay is how I felt. It's okay. I don't, you know, my mom wanted to, let's just all sit down and cry together. I don't want to cry, but if you want to cry, it's okay. I will cry when I'm ready. So I would say just the caregivers and the supporters just need to hear what the person has to say who's been diagnosed. We need to feel what they want at the time. If they want to be held and embraced, be there for them. If they don't want all that, give them time and space because everything, right. everything needs to resonate as to how they need to deal with it. But through prayer, that is how I was able to understand God has something in store for all of us, every one of us. Mm-hmm. We all have our cross to bear. And my oh, yeah. mom, bless her heart, she's the type of person who wants to carry everybody's cross. And I said, you mm-hmm. can't 
that. Carry your own cross. We mm-hmm. all have to carry our own cross, and this is my cross to carry, and I want you here with me, but I don't want you to carry my cross. So that's awesome. that was that's my awesome. that was my platform, and that's mainly how I got through the um, you know being diagnosed. And I always say, even to this day, that I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I never say I had it. Okay. Right. I you were diagnosed it. right then. That's right. Diagnosed with it, and I was treated for it, and I had surgery, right. and, you know, the long and short of it. But That's I don't it. give the disease the power to say I had it. I am a survivor, but be, I'm a survivor because I was diagnosed and treated, but not because I had it or not because... It had me, and that may Absolutely. sound strange to people, but logically, that's 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 my mental state, and that's where I am. And I think because of my mental state, I can be more positive about it. I think Tamika, you and I were talking earlier today. The mindset is is what helps you because your body will follow. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if your mind will follow, I think that's me. one of the things. I that, can't make that, it. I can't do this. Lord Jesus, help me. You know. Mm-hmm. Then your body's mm-hmm. gonna follow, and yeah, let's go in a corner and cry, and I can't get up off this floor, and you know, and I've heard it all, but that just wasn't my approach. The other right. thing that helped me get beyond the diagnosis. Now that was the main thing, just just deciding that the doctors don't have the final say. God has the final say, and then prayer, just remaining in prayer, and then the other thing was just. Taking it upon myself, like I said, I didn't ask a whole bunch of questions because what they said, I took notes, my husband took notes, my mom took notes, and we went, we researched, and we looked up um, little video clips of survivors, and we looked up video clips of, you know, what the treatment is. And when, when we see different pieces, for instance, chemotherapy versus radiation versus holistic, you know, we would research each part and see, well, what's the difference? Right. At, from the other because I didn't know what I thought I knew wasn't true. Like some people don't know the difference between chemotherapy and radiation. Mm-hmm. So you know, learning ab- about that, self-educating, was an avenue to direct my energy so that I didn't spend Absolutely. energy feeling sorry for myself. I can say, well, what can we do? You know, what's the next step? And what's the next step? And what's the next step? So that was my my focus. That and is, I'll say you know if anybody what? has questions with any so other terminology, please ask um, because I'm more than willing to share. You know whatever you you uh, are unsure about, and don't feel like you should know something that you don't know. If you don't know, it's best to ask. And that's how I that's how I felt, and I I feel better educated because. I was able to research and, you know, just kind of find out, well, what's the difference between one thing and the other? Right. Yes. You know, that, you know, that is, it is so, Sandra, I can't even express to you fully um, how awesome it has been to hear this and to hopefully uh, just to know that it could be right now at this very moment providing encouragement and hope to someone Mm -hmm. else. 
They probably mm-hmm. didn't have it. Uh, one mm-hmm. thing that Tony is great about is, you know, having these shows available in archives so that, you know, listeners at their leisure will have time to go back and listen to them. And I hope that this is one that he gives, um, you know, a, additional airtime in the weeks when we are, you know, doing replay shows mm-hmm. because I think it's so important for so many people to hear the things that you've come to the show to share with us. And, um, I think it's just uh, so, so great. Um, Janice, you were trying to say something. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Girl, I forgot now. You know my mom. <laughs> right? I know our time is almost up oh, for the show tonight, guys. And But this has been incredible. Yeah, it was. It was. So I'll try to see if I can get our illustrious boss to uh, – you know, post the link to the show for archive purposes so people can listen to it right on the page. Um, well, tonight yeah, you can always go to soulofamericaradio.com and they can. pull up pull up the archive. archive. Mm-hmm. Right. Ladies, I would like to there. say this before we leave. Um, there's a lot of attention on the um, the person who's diagnosed, the survivor, and I just would like to express to everyone who's listening, um, you know, if you know of someone or if you are dealing with this situation yourself, the caregivers really need to know that they have supporters too because my mom and my husband were holding me up. I mean, literally, like I couldn't walk some days. And the church family bring dinner so that they didn't have to, after all they had to do to take care of me, turn around and cook dinner. And it was just a blessing, you know. And I know everybody don't have that, but I just wanted to put it out there that the caregivers and the supporters is what helps, you know, to get through the fight journey. Because I have friends who, who were there for me, and I have friends who weren't there for me because they didn't know how to be there. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. And it didn't bother me because I felt like I don't know if I would know what to say or do. But I would say this, just show up. Just show up. You don't have to know what to say or what to do. Just show up. And it makes the world really. We really have enjoyed having you. We're going to have to have you back again um, where we can expound on some of the treatments that are becoming available now for breast cancer. And, uh, ladies, you got anything else to say? Yes, I would just like to say thanks again. Uh, she is an awesome product of um, the Selma City School System. So proud of her. <laughs> love you to death. <laughs> Do I and love you, again. too. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you all. Thank, Thank you. We appreciate it.